Welcome to the Ian Corzine Show. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. I've been advising top social media creators for about 12 years. Now it's your turn. Whether you're an upcoming social media influencer or a content creator bringing in the millions, you gotta understand how to grow your audience the right way and not risk fines or worse, jail time. That's where I come in on the Ian Corzine Show. My guests and I break down what you need to succeed for becoming a top influencer. If you're ready to grow on social media the right way, I'm here to help you. This is a Soulfire production. Welcome to the Ian Corzine Show. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Jevin Dovey of the successful YouTube channel, Jevin Dovey. He teaches you everything from photography, videography, how to succeed on YouTube, and he travels a whole lot and takes you with him. He's also the CEO of FitLife Productions. Today, we're going to talk about how to shoot video in public and not get in trouble with the law. Jevin, welcome to today's show. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. I wanted to start out by, you know, I've known you for quite a while. When I started in YouTube, I watched you and I, I emulated you. And, and I'm so glad that you're on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit of background about how you got started on YouTube and how you've ris- you know, risen up the ranks to what you have 600,000 subscribers now or something? Yeah, it's 613, <laughs> I think, today. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome, man. It's It's a lot when you start thinking you put those people in like, a city like that's a lot of people. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I mean, the my journey on YouTube's been um, it's what six years now, I think five six wow. years. Wow. But I started out originally doing just vlogging. Like I got inspired by Casey Neistat, like a lot of us on YouTube, and I started just making vlogs. I did like two hundred of them, and nobody watched them. And they're you know they still are have like 50 views each, (laughs) but like, it was a great time to learn what I wanted to do. And then I switched what I was doing. I focused more on filmmaking and teaching. And, um, and that's, you know, that's where I've seen the growth over the last few years. And more recently, I'm moving more into doing a lot of storytelling and doing more around adventure filmmaking and trying to find cool, interesting stories to tell. And then after I do a film like that, break it down on my channel to kind of bridge that gap of how do you make these projects? And that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've I've watched your videos, especially the ones in the travel ones, the more cinematic ones. And it's always kind of sometimes a challenge to get the audience to hook up to those type of videos. I've made some myself uh, because yeah. you and I both love making videos. One of the things I'm seeing more and more on social media is the attention spans going down um, you know, it seems like most of the content that's really hitting it is kind of uh, wow content, I call it, where there's something, you know, that's that's not been seen before on it. So sometimes it's hard to get people to watch those 30 minute or 45 minute yeah. videos. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I see that side of it. But also when you're, you know, on YouTube, some of the content that's really taking off recently are these long form videos of just interesting stories. Like it's not a tutorial. It's not a how-to. It's not a review of a product. It's like someone sleeping in the back of their truck in negative 19 degree weather. That's something I watched last night. And I'm just like, that's a really interesting video. It, you know, does that they don't have to be shot well. They don't have to be like the coolest thing you've ever seen, but it's just an interesting story that hooks you. And then these videos are popping off and getting hundreds of thousands of views, sometimes Uh millions. Um, so I think there's been a shift, like there's a mix of the short form, the TikTok era of like 
quick, you know, you need to have content that just moves and really gets people hooked and engaged. And then there's also just like these really just interesting concepts. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think YouTube and specifically is transitioning where I think the algorithm is starting to push more of this kind of content because it keeps the fewer on the platform longer. And that's essentially what YouTube wants. I mean, when you boil it down to what YouTube wants is they want viewers to stick around longer and watch more content. So if your content does that, all of a sudden, like the YouTube's going to start favoring that. And I think what people are finding is like these interesting concepts are starting to, to keep people on. And then in turn, YouTube is now promoting those. Yeah. Yeah. I see that too. Yeah. I see that too. And I also see it as YouTube being the only game in town, or at least the largest game in town for long form content. You know, all the platforms are moving to the short form. It doesn't matter if it's Snapchat or if Instagram reels, or obviously TikTok's just dominating right now, but kind of the dark horse is what you said, which is this long form content. It's evidenced by some of the podcast shows that are three and four you know, hours long. So I, I tend to see what you're saying. And I got to tell you that most recent video you made where you went out into the desert and camped on top of your Jeep uh, <laughs> and showed off those cool prime lenses. I mean, I got to tell you, it was an amazing video. I really believe it. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of work, but um, you know, we'll see if the algorithm picks it up. I mean, the tough thing about having a channel that's filmmaking specific and focused yeah. on tutorials and whatnot is that when I put out a video like that, the algorithm doesn't know what to do with it. So yeah. um, I've been playing around with this idea of doing these kind of documentaries and trying to put them on my channel and see if the algorithm will pick them up in different ways. But I don't know. We'll see. It's got like 13,000 views right now, and it's starting nice. to get picked up and suggested. Awesome. I think the, the, a big shift in the last year is that YouTube is more video-specific versus channel-specific. Okay. Like You obviously are going to have your followers on your channel and that's the initial people to watch your video and that's giving the initial information to the algorithm of where to suggest but if you have a video that pops off that's uh you know a overlanding video on a channel that's not overlanding well if that one video starts taking off youtube's then going to start pushing it to relevant audiences that watch that kind of content so Mm -hmm. it really becomes video to video so Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting how the the whole like world of YouTube is changing and evolving. And um, it's, I think it's just the nature of how these algorithms play with each other. And they're just trying to keep people on the platform. So mm-hmm. it's really become video specific versus like channel specific. Yeah, I hear you. I really do hear you. I'm starting to see more of that. And I will say you've seen a lot of that because one of the you know, the most famous stories that you tell and you've told me multiple times is I think you alluded to it earlier. I think you made, did you make 300 videos before you, you got a, a certain amount of subscribers? I mean, it was really, you, you really ground <laughs> or grind. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, I think, I think I counted, it was like 200 videos where it was just, uh, vlogs, like some travel vlogs and just vlogs. Like there wasn't really a whole lot of structure to it. It was just me turning on the camera and kind of doing something and then trying to make a video out of it yeah uh, i think i had less than a thousand subscribers wow. before all that um wow. and then i started doing dji mavic pro videos and yeah. that's when i really got into the tutorial scene and that those videos really took off on my channel uh, yeah. and that kind of pushed me into that world of tutorials and um you know it's it's something that comes natural to me because i have a filmmaking background i went to film school I worked in the industry for a, you know, a few years before starting my own production company. Um, so like, it's just something that's always, I've always done. And mm-hmm. so it made sense to like do a filmmaking channel, yeah. but you know, there is 
uh, I think what's interesting is the world of YouTube creators are getting smart in terms of there's so much information out there that like just doing tutorials and doing the same thing over and over isn't, isn't going to keep five, 10 years from now. It's not going to be the thing that people are going for because the information's out there. So I think storytelling is really where things are getting pushed. Mm, I like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's a story of determination. And I think one of your biggest videos that I've seen multiple times is the how to vlog. I mean, that's one of your biggest ones too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so my, (laughs) my how to vlog video that seems to pop up everywhere. Yeah, it Um, does. 2018, I think I made that video, but it's, it's got, I think it's got over 2 million views. Maybe it's getting close to it. Um, it's just one of those videos that ranked in search really well. So if you type in how to vlog on YouTube, the number one video is mine. If you type in how to vlog on Google, number one video is mine. And then next is like Casey Neistat and like Peter McKinnon, McKinnon. So like these big names. Yeah, and so yeah. it, it, it's interesting, like that mine got ranked above and that's the beauty of using a search-based strategy, but it doesn't always happen like that. Very rarely does a video really pop off like that. I've had a few yeah. that have performed in search, but the majority of the growth on my channel comes from suggested. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm the same way. You know, I think my my theory on that is obviously the content is great. No, no question about it. But I think the thumbnail is just absolutely the best. I think that's I, it's one of your best thumbnails ever. It just shows you in the vlog situation, almost mid-talk, Uh, And it just, I think there's a blue background and I think it just really pops and people go, oh, I want to be like that guy. It's like clean, but it's not super clean. Like it's kind of a rough thumbnail when I look at it. It's, um, it's not like a, just a solid background or just like, but it is clean enough where it's like, okay, it's just someone vlogging mid sentence and it it works. Like it's that taking a photo in action. And that's what I'm finding, you know, being able to capture a moment and tell a story in a photo. Yeah. is going to get someone to click versus just a, ah, you know, with like text, yeah. like those yeah. obviously work and there's a yeah. strategy to that. Yep. But I, I'm, I'm pushing more into the world of like, how do I tell a story with a picture? And that's what I'm trying to capture for my thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing the same thing following your lead. My, one of my last videos was I tried to tell a story about copyright strikes <laughs> and I tried to get people along. It's just the, it's just getting them to, you know, get the video synced with the text, uh, with the with the vocalizations, and then and making sure that the story is simple enough that they can follow it. Uh, that's always mm-hmm. a challenge. But I do think that what's so neat about that is that you can make more and more videos about the same topic if you just have different stories. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think the there's no ceiling when you tell stories. Like stories, there's always going to be new stories to tell. Storytelling's been around since the beginning of the human race. Like we tell stories. You go back to cave drawings. There's yeah. stories of you know, of hunts and things like storytelling is ingrained in us. And I think it's a skill that really does take some work and it takes a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. And I find that when I don't make a story driven piece for a while, it's, I get really rusty and it's like, I'm trying to, you know, put these components together to make something. But after I've done a few, it's just like starts coming natural. And I'll start like when I'm out filming, I'm like, boom, I need this. I need this. I need this. These pieces twist together. And that helps set up my uh, conflict and that helps me push me into you know the first act and things like that. Yep, yep. Have you done any stories with respect to your YouTube uh, tutorial content? Have you ever kind of mixed that in together? Yeah, I've tried to to do some. Um, you know what I've found for like tutorial style content is people just want information, mm-hmm. and it's like 
you know, there's different strategies for different types of content. And I, I know storytelling can work in like a tutorial setting, but at the same time, if I do a video that's 13 drone moves and I start immediately showing the first move, those videos get way more watch time than if I drag it out. And I've, I've been looking at this in my own analytics where I'll dig into something where I did a two minute kind of story before I actually started the video. Yes. And there's tons of comments where people are just like, skip to this point, skip to this point. And it's like, people are coming to tutorials to learn something and you want to reward them immediately and give them that thing. Yeah. And I found that those videos end up taking off and suggested. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a mix of like, you just got to like, look at your content and you can start seeing these patterns and seeing what works. And like, I'm pushing storytelling in a lot of the videos that I know storytelling makes sense. But then yeah. when it comes to a 10 reasons why you buy this camera, I'm going to tell you 10 reasons why you're going to buy this camera. camera. And, and you're going to start off with, these are the 10 reasons why you buy this camera. <laughs> they do well. I yeah. mean, it's, you got to play that game. Like as it's YouTube, like we want yeah. to all be artists and we want to be creative, but we also have to play with the, algorithm make sure things work right like it's it's an interesting dance that we play as creators it is and then you got to keep publishing keep consistent it's a it's a tough one uh well listen like a never-ending grind (laughs) yeah i know it just you just rise and grind as they say on the cody co um i was going to mention that you know you've done a lot of cinematic story driven videos out in the wild because that's what your Mm -hmm. love is you love the mountains you love the desert you love the snow as i know um you know, one of the things we're going to talk about is how you can actually shoot videos in these public spaces and not get in trouble with the law. You and I were both about two weeks ago or so, or so uh, sharing links about this new recent ruling that allows uh, people to go into you know, national parks and not get a permit and not pay fees and be allowed to actually commercially film so long as they don't bring like a you know 100 person crew and not have to pay anything. Has that impact? Has that ruling impacted your life? Are you going to go out in some shoots soon in national parks or something? I mean, it's interesting because that is something I've been avoiding as national parks um, because I know the rules when it comes to filmmaking in like public spaces that are government controlled. Mm -hmm. You know, like having a production company, it, it gives me a lot of insight into this world of copyright and understanding like when I need to get a permit. Yes. And so, you know, YouTube, you can kind of skirt that line. There's, there's a gray area and it's not like everyone's going to find out every video that you create, but, uh, you obviously want to play within the rules so that if someone does come after you, you don't get a hundred thousand dollar fine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the national parks has been a issue because filming in national parks, you're supposed to go through this permitting process yes. and it's like, it takes a long time. It costs money. And when you look at the form, like I've gone through this form before, it's asking like how big your jib is or like how many people are you going to have on your stunt team? I'm like, I don't have a stunt team. I have a camera and myself and I'm hiking up this mountain. Like, yeah, none of this makes sense for me. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I mean like what uh, the ruling that came out a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. um, my understanding, I've just read a few articles. I'm sure you can speak to this a lot better, but basically for small YouTube style content, like what we're creating on what I create, um, yes. you don't need to get a permit anymore. Yeah, you don't. And you don't need to pay, you don't need to pay fees either. Uh, it's a great ruling. It's kind of stunning in this day and age because everybody's trying to get their peace. But they were basically saying it's a First Amendment issue, and especially if you're not coming in with a full, you know, movie crew, um, people should be allowed to post an Instagram story 
uh, in the middle of the national park as part of their First Amendment rights. And I think the D.C. judge uh, basically recognized that. And even though it's not binding precedent across the world right now, the bottom line is the national parks have already stopped. They've already, they, I just read another article where they've changed their, their application, their, uh, all their internal documentation on this. So what, it's a great thing for all of us creators out there because now we don't need to be in fear of actually the national park taking you either you know, starting a criminal case or a civil case, which is it's been known to do. So I'm really looking forward to that. Have you run into over time, over your time problems where you're filming and you don't have the right permits or anything like that? Uh, you know, I know you've done lots yeah. of videos. So last year I did a project with Nikon and because it was a sponsored project, they wanted to make sure everything was permitted properly. So I wanted to do a climbing film and the goal was to climb Mount Shuxon, which is in the Cascade National Park, yeah. um, which is in Northern Washington. Mm-hmm. And I've climbed Shuxon before. It's an awesome climb. And I was like, I want to make a film around this. And so I tried to go through the permitting process. I had my buddy who's a producer for documentary films. He was working with me on this project and he was doing all the permitting side of things and mm-hmm. putting all the pieces together. He got them on the phone and was like, okay, this is what we're doing. It's for a YouTube video. You know, it's a, it's a one creator and like three people that are actually climbing and a guide like it's a very small group yeah. and basically they're climbing up this mountain and they're going to shoot a video not disturbing anything not stomping off the trail like it's yes. just you know that which those are big things that you have to consider when you're doing a permit and they said okay great well you can put in your permit it'll be about 30 days and it's probably guaranteed that it's not going to go through but if it does then it will take another like 90 days for you to actually get your permit but i wouldn't get your hopes up and I had to make the film in like a month. And I was yeah. like, okay, great. So I called up the permitting office in Canada, got a permit 14 days, flipped to Canada and shot the film up there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. It abso- it's absolutely true. Yeah. And if they don't want you to do it, um, it can also be really frustrating with dealing with people there. You know, it's almost leads to the situation where you, you'd rather just do it and then get caught than ask permission. Yeah because it's going to yeah. take too too long. And I'm hoping this ruling that, that came out will actually help all of us who want to film. I mean, I'm in Mammoth uh, Lakes, California right now at a national park. Um, I, I want to be able to film. I actually did, made a video just recently about it. And so I don't want to worry about those things. But I will say that it is important for all the creators out there who are planning on going out to locations. I don't know if it's a national park or whatever. You guys should investigate what is required because even if you don't get the a copyright strike, you might get a lawsuit at some later point in time, and it could be many, many years down the road. So you do need to be aware of what what you're doing uh, and what the rules that apply. Yeah. Have you heard of any uh, major issues with national parks? You know, I the only one. Yeah, the only one I heard was the recent one. I think oh, I'm estimating three months ago or so where a couple of Instagrammers uh, got in trouble. Um, they were they got they were given a citation in the national park. And I'm blanking on which one I think it was, I think it was in Utah. Um, and they were facing uh, criminal fines as a result of them just doing a story or a couple of stories in a national park. So it's a legit issue. Um, yeah. I'm just really glad that someone spent the money <laughs> to litigate it in court yeah. uh, so that we can get this ruling. Um, and I've also heard a lot of other situations where people are filming on private property and then later are sued. Um, so there, it, it's, it's a legit thing. Um, and I'm just really glad that it's, like I said, it's, it's more open now so we can go out there and do that stuff. 
you know, as a creator, you need to spend more time looking into potential issues that might come up with where you're filming, because even if national parks say it's okay, you still have to think about state parks and national forests. And I've dug into national forests because there's places that I go where they're forests, they're not a national park. And it's, it's uh, a specific to each spot. So you have to call up the local office and just ask them. And a lot of times they're like, yeah, that's fine. You're just going out with the camera. We don't care. But um, you know, you, you never know if, if there is some major issue or something. So it's just, it's just better to be aware of what you're walking into rather than filming and just being like, maybe I'm good, you know? Yeah, I, absolutely. And there are some legit issues in, in Canada. I mean, you mentioned uh, filming in Canada and you also are an expert on drones. Well, you know, as well as I do, you have to get a full mm-hmm. license. You have to go through a program in Canada, to fly a drone, right? Well, what's your thoughts on U.S. and drones? Because yeah. if you're making money off your YouTube channel, that's considered commercial. commercial. And mm-hmm. anything commercial with a drone, you need a permit. You know, I see both sides. I'm I'm leaning towards some sort of licensure uh, program and also some some stiffer penalties for people who violate the problems or, or violate the rules. I will say this, having I'm a drone flyer myself, and I will say that the software that is in the drones is pretty dang good. I was in Scottsdale mm-hmm. a couple months ago. And we were, uh, I wanted to fly the drone over the, the resort we were staying at. And it wouldn't let me because it was too close to the local airport. So I will say that some of that stuff is, is being take care of, taken care of by the software. I do recognize the real danger of idiots out there flying on airports, flying in sensitive areas, uh, resulting in fires and things like that. So I do think there's some, some value. I, from what I've understood, though, the Canada's is, is almost like getting a pilot's license. I don't know if we need to do that, um, but yeah. um, I do think something, some regulation should be there. Yeah, and I, you know, I've done the uh, Part 107, like I'm a licensed drone pilot, and I've mm. gone through that process. It's not terrible to do, like it's it does take, uh, you know, some studying. There's definitely some nuggets of information that I think all drone pilots should learn. Like there should be some sort of knowledge base that you have to know as a pilot, especially if you're flying like outside of like just a park Um, because airspace is super important. And that's like the one thing I feel like we should all like learn how to understand is airspace and look at a chart and be able to understand like, okay, I can fly here or I can't. There's just so many bits of information on airspace, like where a military zone is or a wilderness zone. And so just that basic level of knowledge would tremendously changed the drone scope of things because people would be understanding of where to fly. Yeah. Um, but like you're saying, yeah, I mean, there, there needs to be some sort of change because doing what Canada is doing doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, what the U S is doing, it, it, it's in the right direction, but like getting part 107 is not, doesn't seem necessary for someone who's a YouTube flyer that yeah, puts part, it in their vlog once yeah, in a while. There yeah, should be a, a yeah a lesser level where it's just understanding things like airspace and, you know, rules on how to fly properly. So you're not endangering anyone. And that should be the test. It shouldn't be learning about, you know, METARs and things like that (laughs) stuff that you're never even going to come across as a pilot when you're. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, you've done a lot of videos, not in Canada, but also in way far away countries like in Thailand. Did you ever run into any difficulties there? I could imagine if you're shooting the elephants in Thailand, uh, you know, that maybe someone would get mad at that or anything like that. Yeah, I I think the biggest issue I had was going into Nicaragua. Um, I get drones aren't allowed there and my drone got taken at the airport. So that sucked. Uh, (laughs) uh, Other countries. So Thailand specifically, I've been there four times now. 
And every time I go, the, the rules have gotten stricter. So mm -hmm. like the last time I went, basically like you're not supposed to fly. And I was working with an elephant sanctuary. Yeah. And because I was working with the sanctuary, did I even bring my drone? No, I didn't even bring my drone on that trip wow. um, because of the rules. But the I worked with an elephant sanctuary the, the time before that as well. And I basically only flew in certain areas where I knew like they didn't care. Yeah. But like flying in a big city was a, a definite no, because if you get caught, you could go to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And there you literally will go to jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't no want to mess around sir. with uh, yeah. international laws. <laughs> no, not not at all. Do you have any plans coming up? I mean, to, to go traveling uh, with your with your crew and stuff? Um, potentially, it's a weird world we're in. Yeah, uh, I know. Travel I know. is not something that's like, especially international travel right now. I just heard that Tahiti and you know the South Pacific, all those islands are closing down to even let tourists come in anymore. Yeah, um, things are shutting back down in different places. Yeah. I have a potential climb that I might be doing in France later Ooh. this year which would be cool i'm going to work with a guide service out there and do a film about climbing mount blanc which is yeah, I think no it's the tallest mountain in france yeah. it's a tall mountain yeah <laughs> um, which that would be a really cool one to do yeah it, it you know it's international travel i have a potential project in guatemala everything's kind of pending on what's going on in the world and you know yeah. how how things how it's going to be traveling yeah um yeah. obviously we don't want to get sick but mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, like if the precautions are in place, like then, yeah, I, I'm open yeah. to traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should come out to Hawaii sometime. It's it's actually great out there now. Costa Rica is a, a good too. So there are some locations, but again, like you said, you got to know the rules. You know, when you are getting ready for a shoot, are are you the guy who's on the phone to the the Mount Blanc uh, permit people, or or do you guys have, do you have a staff to help you with that, or how does that work? So it depends on the project. Like I. I do a lot of stuff myself, but you know, me and my wife have our production company together. So she works with me on the producing side of things. Yes. So like a lot of times if we're getting permits and whatnot, she's much better at that than me. She's very okay. good at all that stuff. And yeah. then um, I have friends that work in the documentary space. So like I have another friend who's a great producer and I'll call him up and hire him on per job to, to do some of that stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, depending on how much work is needed, I'll definitely hire out and then um, I, you know, that's one thing 2021 I'm really trying to do is, you know, get the right people to do the jobs. So finding an yeah. editor to work with me, you know, bringing shooters on. So I'm not doing everything solo. I yes. think it's uh, important to expand because mm -hmm. as creators, we try to do everything ourselves and it's our art, but yeah. to really grow and to like keep this sustainable, you really have to have a balance. Absolutely. And you need the time and the space for creativity because that is what you're judged upon. Your creativity is what gets you, quote unquote, the views. And if you're always doing logistics or administrative tasks, yeah. you don't have that time. You're, you're, you're not you're tired. You're not you're not focused on what story you could tell that could actually make people, you know, give value to people. But it's, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, as a creator, like we know exactly what fits our channel. And so for sponsorships, for example, like I've worked yeah. with different people that uh, help bring sponsorships to my channel, yeah. but like they, they don't really understand exactly what I'm doing. And I, I get past all these sponsorships. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing on my channel. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So like in a way, sometimes you do have to take control. And yeah. like this year, you know, I've been focusing on getting sponsorships that actually matter and people yeah. that want to sponsor 
a story-driven piece rather than just doing a comparison between a GoPro and a 360 camera because yeah, that's yeah. not a, that like that that's not a good sponsorship. No, that's like no marketing for that company. That's not a sponsored video. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, have you gotten into the live stream craze at all? Are you doing any live streams for your audience or? No, I, yeah. I've I haven't been a big fan of live streaming personally. Like I just tell me I, about. I it. don't know. Personally, I just don't, um, I don't know what I want to do with live streaming yet. So it's not something I've really got into. Like this setup that you're seeing here, I actually set up this morning. And (laughs) now that it's set up, I'm like, okay, this could be a good live streaming setup. Yeah, Um, It's on the edge of my desk and everything's hooked up to my computer. Like it works well. Yeah. Uh, But with the new Sony phone that just came out, like that's a great tool to live stream anywhere. That might be a fun tool to play with, to be in on a mountain somewhere and do a live stream. Like I would yes. rather get out of my office and figure out ways to live stream outside. Yes. Um, but yes. again, it comes down to topics. Like what do I want to do? Yeah. Um, like I don't want to just like come on a live stream and just talk about anything. I, I don't know. I'm not big in the live stream world. So yeah, yeah, yeah. something I've avoided. Well, I'm kind of really where you're at too. I prefer produce content. Um, and I'm just evaluating live streams. I mean, I got to tell you that a lot of the most successful YouTubers are doing it very often. Um, they're getting a lot of uh, a larger audience as a result. And I do think that there's some things that we can probably agree are good as far as interaction with our audience. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing is the the reviews of live streams. I'm, I'm really trying to work on how can I offer value to those people who just can't make it at you know, uh, 7.15 p.m. on a Sunday and, and then my video pops up in their in their feed and I don't want them just to see me going, hey, I'm just uh, drinking coffee here and uh, yeah, you know, put on a shirt, that kind of thing. I, I want it to be have some value to it. And that was so interesting about that. It's a little co- counter the live stream culture, which is involve the people in the discussion. So, you know, because people, mm-hmm. you know, when you're not there, who do you why do you care about? F six four two, you know, uh, one of the one of the people that's in the audience. So I'm still trying to figure that out too. Yeah, I think video influencers does a really good job with their live streaming. So I did one of uh, with them, and everything was so structured that it almost felt like we were making a video, but just live. And they yeah. had intros, and they had you know segment transitions, and um, they did like a whole section that was live that basically was a video. And then yeah. in the end, it was Q and A with the audience, and then they ended up chopping off that Q and A in the YouTube editor afterwards. I and I thought that was so smart because they basically did a video live. They got, you know, another creator on and they did this conversation. Um, but it feels like a video when you watch it back. Wow. Wow. Hmm. So, That's awesome. All right. Well, maybe it's something for you and I to do. And I love the fact that you're thinking about doing a, a live broadcast potentially from faraway places, maybe the top of Mount yeah. Block or something like that. <laughs> that would, it would be cool. I think as I'm doing projects, like it'd be cool yeah. to do these do live streams that kind of discuss what's going on. I probably wouldn't keep them on my channel though. It'd probably be like a live, like schedule it, talk about it, and then maybe have a replay somewhere else instead of being like just a video yep. on my channel. I don't know. I haven't really yep. thought yep. through it yet. I'm doing that too. I have a, a membership club and I'm doing live streams from a different platform called Super Peer uh, and leaving that to, 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 to be my live stream area. And then occasionally I'm doing live streams on YouTube just with the people that are around and just seeing how that goes. But I'm like you, I'm, it's the jury's still out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the master of live streams is Nick Nimmin, like his three hour epic yeah. broadcast. Oh. Like those are insane. Yes. He does them every yes. week. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and in, in my space, Nick Ricada, 
who does he does his live stream from 12 midnight to three and four in the morning <laughs> he, he, i guess he sleeps from six to you know 10 30 or something like that but he's he's up there when people are up and they can't sleep you just turn on youtube and he's he's going so there are people who are doing it wow. very successfully i just don't have the wherewithal <laughs> to do that <laughs> yeah i think it's a different animal live streamers are you know they, it's different style of thinking and how do you approach the content like i've been yeah. i'm i'm much more focused on the produced content and like i said i'm pushing more into the story driven content which takes yeah. a lot more time to do oh, um yes. and i'm hoping to crack that that egg and figure out you know exactly what works for my channel that you know um bridges that gap between the filmmaking crowd and then the story driven content yeah yeah you and me both it's hard it's Funny, what's so great about the YouTube experience is you understand, you begin to understand how niche your audience can be and how mm -hmm. if you just vary a little bit. I mean, what I try to do is just try to stretch my audience here and there, you know, and I just, OK, we're going to talk about GameStop and the legalities of that. But that's not what they're used to. And so as a result, you know, they're not seeing that. So it, it is it's quite an experiment on, you know, um, leading a group of people and delivering yeah. what they expect it's it's crazy i think like it's just yeah. wild like trying to keep all this in mind when you're creating content and yeah. i think the more that you kind of put in your personality and the different topics you want to talk about your audience yes. will start becoming more aware of it yes. and i think that's that's one thing that when people watch like how to do youtube and creators are saying you need a niche down you need to do one topic and really hone on it yeah, yeah. i've kind of pulled away from that and said that yes you do need a niche down like that's the initial way to start building your following but you need to keep your personality in the videos and you need to keep yeah. the things that you care about because you're not necessarily always going to want to do you know videos on sewing mittens for cats i don't know yeah. like yeah true <laughs> You know, I've that's like a such a specific yeah. thing and it would probably build an audience, but yeah. like you need to be more than just one specific thing. And that's, yeah. I think because I've filtered in the outdoors and the adventure stuff throughout my channel for the years I've been on, you know, yeah. it's starting to pick up where my, my following does, there is a core audience who does really appreciate that content. Um, and you know, that's the group of, that's the audience I want to create for yes. because they're going to be along for the adventure versus somebody who comes in to just get 13 yep. drone tips and then they're like you know give me some backhanded comment about my lighting in the video and i'm just like like no i don't i don't care about getting the mass <laughs> numbers from that. Like, yeah i understand so. i know it's the youtube gig we got but we love it i it's just such a challenge and i love doing it uh jevin thank you so much for your time on today's show i really appreciate it you know where can the viewers and the listeners in this case uh find you if they want to watch some of your videos just head over to Jevin Dovey on YouTube. If you type in my name, I'll pop up. Um, yeah. And then jevindovey.com is where you can find everything else that I'm doing. I have an online school for creators. It's called the Creator Film School. So mm -hmm. that's where I do all my more in-depth educational um, you know, courses. And I basically do it as a membership. So you have access to all the courses rather than buying one off. And this year, I'm going to focus on doing a lot more on storytelling and things that awesome. really will help you tell better stories and make videos more impactful. Awesome. I can testify. I've watched so many of your videos, especially on the ones about, gosh, color correction and editing and all sorts of things. And I have to say, 
it's such a great channel because you get on one hand a trip to Thailand to see the elephants on another situation you get to see the latest DJI drone and then another one you talk about the a7s3 so it's uh it's quite a exciting thing for people like myself who are kind of nerdy and like all the tech stuff and like all the adventure stuff so we really appreciate it and I, I appreciate it thanks so much for joining us today Jevin cool thanks for having me on it's great chatting all right.